From Bristol, UK, I'm Pommy Harmer. And I'm Melissa Shamam, and this is The Quarantini. As we dip in and out of lockdowns, we're bringing you this podcast, Keep Your Spirits Up. Every episode, we bring you a mix of ingenious responses to the virus, an in-depth interview, and a dash of the unexpected. For that lovely music, thank you very much to Seb Gutierrez and the Old Bone Collectives. Hello and welcome back. And welcome back to you, Melissa. Good to have you back. How are you? Oh, thanks, Bummy. I'm much better. I can speak again. I am back in Bristol, as you said. And everything's fine, still teaching um, online for us. We're going to have one of our modules going back on campus from Monday. And I'm, yes, supervising that. I will go back progressively. I have um, had to have two tests a second today. Two COVID tests. Two COVID tests, yes, because I was traveling. So to make sure everything's fine. And of course, everything's fine. And then to be isolating for 10 days, but <gasps> it all went really fast and that's all good because my housemate helped me with the food and, you know, I had a lot of work to catch up with. So everything's great now. You've been inside for 10 days. Yeah, I've been uh, inside for 10 days. Exactly. The only time I went out was to post my test quickly to the emergency um, post office um, two seconds from the house. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, it's very nice to be doing the podcast again with you. So what have we got coming up today? Well, I think we have an interview. It's a bit special. Tell us about it, Pomi. We have three women artists from Somalia. Uh, and we have our usual roundup this week. And of course, we'll have some music to finish uh, with a lovely uh, friend of mine, musician from Marseille in France, who's called CM Folk Nomad. <laughs> Fabulous. I'm really looking forward to that. It's such a beautiful track. But now it's time for our interview. Now, we uh, we recently celebrated International Women's Day, which we hear has become International Women's Month. So that's good, isn't it? And a project in Bristol really caught our eye. Or maybe I should say caught our ear. You will hear from three Somali women, Fozia Ismail, Asma Jama and Ayan Silmi, all telling me about their latest artistic project called Camel Meat and Cassette Tapes. Now, this is a project which honours and explains how their parents and grandparents used to connect back to their families in Somalia by recording their lives on cassette tapes and sending it through the post. And then their families would record what was going on for them on the same cassette tapes and send them back. And to get them in the mood, they'd also send over traditional camel meat for them to chew on while they listen to the tapes. Here they are telling me all about it. <laughs> Asma, this, this project that you've all been involved in is called Camel Meat and Cassette Tapes. It's really intriguing. We're going to hear all about it. But if you could just start by telling us a little bit about the role of cassette tapes 
in your community and linking your communities up together? Yeah, so um, I I think actually this uh, affected a generation before me. So really, Afosia was the one that had the memory of these cassettes coming to our home. But it was a, a form of uh, Somalis being able to communicate uh, after the war um, within the diaspora. So people would record tape letters um, with important like family details, events that happened, anything they wanted to say. And they'd like build up these tapes for several months, perhaps. And then if somebody was going somewhere, uh, they'd pass the tapes on. And often it would be accompanied with camel meat, which is mogulmad or odka. And um, yeah, um, I mean, within my own family, people have memories of receiving these tapes and then, of course, sending them back and just re-recording on the same tape. So we found it quite fascinating and that's why we decided to explore it as part of this project. So you've listened to some of these cassette tapes and made a wonderful piece about it. Tell us some of the stories that you heard when you were talking to the elders of your community about them. Ayan. The stories ranged really from like the very mundane day-to-day activities to celebratory moments in people's lives like weddings, birthdays, things of that nature. But there were stories of you know, divorces happening on cassette tapes as well. So essentially the way it works is that you need to have someone as a witness um, to your divorce. So people would record it on the cassette tape uh, and the person who was the messenger was essentially the witness to the divorce. So it would be a very kind of like, I guess, um, a discreet way of doing it and also maybe a kind of divorcing yourself from the, the moment in some ways. But yeah, that was kind of, something a bit unusual that we had that was happening but um also love stories there were loads of almost like a romeo and juliet kind of style love stories going on via the tapes and people were kind of sending conversations between their lovers through friends their families didn't know about it it was a way of just being a bit discreet as well so yeah there was a lot of romance happening which is also beautiful and it's so much slower isn't it i mean you've got to say what you want to say on the tape and then you've got to send it and then wait all that time for something to come back. Oh, it it definitely creates a longing and heightens the romance for sure. It's like writing letters to someone. You're kind of thinking what you're saying. It's not instant. Yeah, the anticipation of waiting for your lover to send you a cassette tape, to hear his voice. There is definitely something about it that's just very exciting and that almost feels like it's somewhat missing from the 21st century. Definitely is missing. Maybe that's something COVID has given us, a a sort of an ability to slow down a little bit. What, what about, I'm intrigued to find out about the anti-colonial songs. Tell me a little bit about them. What's really interesting is part of the project, we took uh, the elders to the Commonwealth Museum, which is the British Commonwealth Museum archive. It's actually in Bristol, which is a really exciting thing to know about. So, you know, the whole collection is here in Bristol. And we went and took out some things related to the Somali archives It was really fascinating what it brought out in the women because there was lots of issues around the naming of objects that kind of were 
misaccurate, you know. So things that were thought of as food vessels were actually drums and, you know, things like that. And the women burst out in an anti-colonial song, you know, while we were in this kind of archive, which was amazing. The, the, the history of, of Somalia is that it was colonised by the French in Djibouti, so the very tip. And then the middle bit here, was Somaliland, was colonised by the British and Southern area was South Somalia, where Mogadishu is, was colonised by the Italians. That history of colonialism is part of the reason that the, the civil war broke out in the way that it did. It's a similar story across African countries, really, where the powers that be kind of just seeded, you know, would say, well, Mogadishu is the centre now of power, whereas the north, Haragesa, where we were from, was also a big city. You know, the decolonial process was done in a very um, insensitive way in terms of who was given power afterwards. That's a really important part to know about Somali history, I think, is that it's, you know, the civil war was also rooted in who was colonised by who. Just to follow on what Fozia said, so the song um, that they sang was called Kanasib Kanasar, and it means, um, like, take this one down and, and pull that one up. So basically it was sang during the day of independence when they were swapping out the flags. They were getting rid of the British flag and then putting the Somali flag up the pole. And when was that? The 1st of July, 1960. I mean, that's really interesting. I, I had no idea that there were three European countries involved in um, colonisation. Yeah, yeah, there were three. And it's influenced our food as well. We have pasta. Pasta is an everyday thing. And we do spaghetti bolognese. But with our spaghetti bolognese, it's uh, with lamb mince and cumin. Things like tiramisu. <laughs> Having tiramisu as a pudding growing up. <laughs> it's so good. And biscotti. And biscotti, yeah, biscotti. biscotti. Um, small kids. You know, there were no English puds, though, were there? <laughs> like I was thinking we grew up in the north and it was still Italian. <laughs> Wow. I'm really interested in the whole sort of the, the multiple identities that you must share. So you've got all of your history and heritage, but also growing up in Bristol or parts of the UK. How is that? How has that been for you? I think this project's been a lovely way to explore. You know, for me, I feel very British. I grew up in London. I feel actually a Londoner first <laughs> more than anything else. And then um, I'm British Somali, you know. But what's interesting is that you're forced, because of the recent issues with the hostile, I mean, it's just this hostile environment and the um, the referendum. I really feel like there's a lot of people that have been emboldened, like racists. The racist narrative in the mainstream media, I think, does have an effect. It doesn't feel the way it used to. Actually, I think it's got worse and also a lot of um, Somalis like myself were actually not born in the UK. I was born in Denmark. And so there's a lot of Somalis that are born in Scandinavia or Holland or Germany. And I think that sort of complexifies identity a bit more, especially with the whole um, Brexit discussion, because that's sort of like a not very visible community. I think there's um, a big thing as well is that our histories aren't taught in the national curriculum. so. Not only do we not know our histories through kind of national education, but also the rest of Britain doesn't. And so that makes it difficult for others to understand us and our histories. 
um, and familiarize themselves with us. So that's a big thing that's missing. And I think that's the big part of the project is that we're archiving those histories. And hopefully at some point down the road, we'll see those changes in the national curriculum. Uh, but I also think food's a really interesting way to look at the history, because if you look at foods like HP sauce and Worcestershire sauce, tamarind is a main ingredient. And I was talking to someone earlier about this and this concept of English ingredient. You know, that's so English to me. It was developed by people who were in the colonies. Like, so I think Worcestershire sauce was developed by someone who, uh, an earl who had been living in India and who'd come back and he missed that flavour. So he literally set off a factory to make it. And so like those histories are really interesting because that's so linked into our everyday objects or everyday foods that are so seen as British. And actually they're very linked to empire. Tamarind <laughs> is in Liam Perrin's Worcestershire sauce. Yeah, well, exactly. Who knew that? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let's just move on. You're taking this project on. You've you've talked to uh, uh, many, many elders and you're now looking to talk to younger people, 16 to 18-year-olds. Fosia, tell me about that. Oh, it's really exciting because we, we wanted to share the stories that the elders shared with us um, with a younger audience. But this element will be much more experimental. So it's going to be much more about young people experimenting with the tape material itself. We've got a sound artist and they'll be destroying the tape and then making it up again so that they make their new soundscape. So it's quite experimental so, so that the young people can tell their own stories about being, you know, what, what Bristol means to them. What does it mean to be Somali? And with this heritage that actually a lot of them wouldn't know about. So cassette culture, if you think about, I mean, if you're 16 to 18, you've probably never used a tape <laughs> or, or, or even know what a cassette recorder is. So it's a real way of connecting them to their grandparents. Oh, it's really exciting. I mean, I, I, I'm ancient and I can remember when cassette tapes were brand new and exciting. And oh, my God, we didn't have to use vinyl anymore. And course vinyl has come back as a thing hasn't it but things really change and um I'm really looking forward to seeing what you do is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners to encourage them to come forward yeah I mean if you have a story or you have grandparents that you know of that have cassette tapes please do just contact us on the Dugan website which is www.dugan spelt d-h-a-q-a-n dot org and we'll be really interested in hearing about it Apologies for the puppy barking in the background. <laughs> Fosia, Ian, Asma and the puppy, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's such an interesting story for me. I don't know if I told you before, but I've been to Somalia quite a few times. Oh, no, you didn't. And um, I remember the time where cassettes used to be such a great thing in the 80s and France was the same. So I always wonder when I listen to them. I've, I've met Asma and I've heard Fosia before in Bristol. Do you think other people had this sort of habits? I mean, cassettes used to be so big. Actually, in Bristol, it's also how the music scene started, right? People used to do mixtapes of stuff. So it was not to connect with family. But uh, yeah, well, I was wondering if other cultures... Please do email the Quarantine Podcast if in your culture they, you used cassettes to tell stories or to connect with family abroad. It would be lovely to, to see the comparisons. Did you ever hear about it in the Algerian community? That's what I was thinking, because when I, when I met Asma, we discussed that. I, I said to her, I do feel that Algeria and Somalia have a lot in common. The weather, the, the, the seaside, 
the um, Islamic traditions and the role of women being, uh, you know, looking on the outside, looking like, you know, women are really repressed, but actually women have a lot of responsibility into the family life. So, but I don't know. Of course, when I was little, I couldn't go to Algeria very much, but we never used tapes to communicate or to her story, which is a pity because, you know, my grandma, she was a storyteller and a brilliant one, but she couldn't speak French. So I remember that when I was there, my mom would translate for me the stories. And I don't know why we never thought about recording them. Such a such a shame. And it's too late now. But um, maybe some other people did it. I'll investigate. But the cassettes themselves are not really around. No, not anymore. And of course, as you said, it's it was just a way to communicate, not a way to no, create archives. That's right. We so, don't create archives. Well, some people do create archives of their lives as they go along, don't they, with photograph albums? Of course. I know plenty of people and DJs, for instance, who have like collections of tapes of things they mixed and interviews they've done, etc. Just like we used to collect uh, VHS yes. at some point or even other tapes. Like I used to um, collect mini DVs when I had my own camera and I was a reporter. Actually, when I went to Somalia, that's what I did. I kept the tape for 10 years. <laughs> oh, just ridiculous because you never have time to look at them all. But maybe someday, you know, some people make great films of them. Actually, I remember when I left my, I moved out of my flat um, of in Paris last summer. I throw them away because, you know, there's, there's a moment when you have to make decisions like that. And there was a neighbor who opened a bin and he said, that's a treasure. I'm a filmmaker. I collect people's tapes. So you see, it's a continuation of that yes. sort of tradition. Very important. Very important to um, record traditions before they die out. So now it's time for our roundup. And we always start in Bristol. What have we got in Bristol? So first, I just wanted to mention that the, the numbers of COVID cases in Bristol are really down now. They're some of the lowest in England, especially last week. I think there was a little surge of um, people catching COVID just in the past few days. But apart from that, it's really low. For instance, Bristol City Council said that the cases number uh, were continuing to decrease. At the infection rate was now 48 new cases per 100,000 um, inhabitants. And this is way below the level of England in general. Also, Pommy, on the 23rd of March, we went into lockdown last year. So it's been a year now since we had this, as you say, in and out of lockdown, and this is our third lockdown. So when people get, I think, ready to, to think about this anniversary, if we can say that, Bristol City Council invites us to watch a special film on Thursday, the 18th of March. And the film is baptised Bristol Remembers. It's about sharing testimonials from different contributors with also music and poetry, all produced by people of Bristol. And the council also invite us to have a minute of silence on that day to reflect and remember about what happened to us all collectively. And if you want to see the film on that day or whenever it's ready, you have to go on the website that's called wearebristol.co.uk. That's a great idea, isn't it? And we will be celebrating a year of our podcast in April. A year of the quarantine very soon. And I think we'll go back and do a little a little collage, I think, of, of all the th positive news stories that we found over the last year. And there have been so, so many, haven't there? 
and the great people that talked to us about how they found resilience and what they did to support the people of Bristol specifically, but also people all over the world. Yes, and moving on then to the rest of the UK. This week we have found a nursery school in Lancashire that's been teaching its children to be kind. Moorgate Nursery School took their children on a kindness walk and left pots of seeds planted by the children around the local area. The aim was to put smiles on the faces of those who find them. And they would love to know if anyone does find a pot. And the whole reason for doing this was because people have been stuck inside their houses, a bit like you, Melissa. And the children were learning how to find ways of connecting with people, you know, in ways that are completely new. So if you're listening from Ormskirk, which is just west of Wigan, you could post to their social media pages or you could even write a letter. Oh, that's lovely. That makes me think that there's another initiative, not about kindness, but about laughter. And it's also here in Bristol. There's a virtual comedy night that will be held to celebrate the health benefits of laughter because there are so many. And I think everyone who has tried to spend a week without um, laughing and a week with laughter will know for sure. So it's a Barton Hill-based charity called Changes Bristol that is teaming up with artists, um, including UTC uh, Artist Management, to hold this stand-up comedy event. It's going to take place on Wednesday the 24th of March at 7pm. Uh, it will be showcasing four comedians, Toussaint Douglas, Kate Lucas, Ola Labib and Rachel Hicks. And the charity hopes to bring some laughs to people during this lockdown while also spreading awareness about mental health issues and fundraising for the charity. Oh, fabulous. It'd be so good to have a laugh, wouldn't it? I've been talking yes. to my friends about We've all suddenly in the last week decided we want to go to see a live band. We want to hire a live band. We're going to pitch in, get a live band to play old covers of music that we can sing along to at the tops of our voices. I can't wait. Oh, wonderful. So laughter, uh, kindness and then singing along. And <laughs> that's, um, that's a huge, great programme. That's what we need. Another initiative I wanted to mention is in London. There uh, now, with all the billboard spaces being empty, you know, not selling across the capital because of the pandemic and the consequences, there's an ad agency called Bro Brotherhood Media that is inviting artists and especially musicians to submit designs that would help spread positivity and especially notions of empathy. Bands like... I love this. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? And bands like... Excuse me, Pet Shop Boys, Goilers and Chrissy Hydes are already among the artists who have contributed so far, all for free. Don't go to London to see, just check online. And the latest billboards are in Shoreditch, for instance, Camden, Bethnal Green, and they are also the work of uh, Never Not Nothing, another band, and they carry the words become empathy machines, which I think uh, is a beautiful, uh, beautiful byline. Dominic Murphy from the group uh, Brotherhood Media also designed his own art to thank the NHS. And he said the only rule was that it couldn't be selling anything. So you, bands are free to contribute and the agency has committed to donating billboard sites that don't get sell, sold in the future to other positive causes. Wow. Fabulous. It's a real week for picking up stories about kindness, isn't it? 
And I found one in California. It's a man called Edgar McGregor. He's a student from university in California. And he has spent over a year, Melissa, picking up rubbish in a local national park. He's only 20 and he has spent the last 589 days picking up rubbish in a local national park called Eaton Canyon. And he has done this himself, carrying maybe a couple of bags every day back home and getting rid of it. And it's now completely free of litter. And there's a fantastic video of him looking at the camera saying, I've done it, guys. I've done it. There is nothing here. There's no litter left. Oh, my God. It's impressive. And, you know, he's 20 and he just decided that he wanted this place to be a beautiful place. And so he did it. Brilliant. That's inspiring. Meanwhile, speaking about the environment, as the health crisis continued to spark interest in fighting, uh, notably consumerism, uh, there is a global movement, Pommy, uh, to make electronic goods easier to repair. And that's called a victory last week. A new law came into effect in the EU, in the European Union. You remember that thing? And <laughs> to be sure that makers of like washing machines, televisions and other electronic goods do ensure that their products can be easily disassembled for repair. They also have to make spare parts available for at least seven years after models are discontinued. And a week Uh, later, the UK followed. The government has announced its own legislation with new rules aimed at tackling premature obsolescence. Uh, sorry, this, this is my French accent coming back. I like that. It's a French word. <laughs> and in, in the obsolescence in electrical goods, such as the fridge, washing machine, television, etc., that we've mentioned. The aim is, of course, to extend the lifespan of products by up to 10 years, you can, if you fix them, and therefore cut carbon emissions from manufacturers of uh, new goods, as well as cut waste and save people money. Fantastic. And now we've got something completely different for you. We wanted music and we wanted enchanting music, right? So I'm writing an article at the moment about Marseille, the biggest city in the south of France. So I was talking to a friend and I thought it would be perfect for the quarantine. She's an Algerian singer. She's based there in Marseille. She's been based there for, I think, about 10 years. And we first became friends online a few years ago when I was uh, covering African music. She keeps sending me her music and she's a fantastic lady, so full of talent, adorable, full of energy. Her name is CM, Folk Nomad. Folk Nomad is like, it's her, it's not her real name, it means the nomad of folk music, if you will, because she uses all these uh, influences. Her latest track that just came out a couple of months ago is called King of Sorrow, but we wanted to play to you one of her most beautiful, it's a classic in this sort of like North African, South of France music, and it's called Diamond. Yeah, I'm 
That was CM Folk Nomad with Diamond. That's it for the Quarantini this week. We'll be back next time with a new cocktail of ideas, music and positive news for you all. And don't forget our first anniversary very, very soon. In the meantime, we'd really love to hear from you. So please do get hold of us. You can, for instance, email us at thequarantinipodcast at gmail.com. This episode was hosted by me, Melissa Shamam, and by... And was hosted and produced by me, Pommy Harmer. <laughs> Thank you for listening. And stay safe. Thank you.